Welcome to the Religion and Story podcast. On this week's episode, we are going to talk about schisms. Uh, now, schisms in the church is just a fancy word for uh, when there are church splits. But we're not necessarily just talking about small church church splits. We're talking about big church splits, like when uh, a church body separates, a big church group separates, and there becomes two uh, big church bodies, like two denominations. So um, because these have happened throughout history, we can draw some lessons from them. Uh, We can ask ourselves, why do they happen? And what can we learn from them? Are there costs? Are there benefits? Because of these schisms, are we any better because of the schisms? Um, So to start us off, Daniel, why don't you uh, talk a little bit about why schisms happen? Um, So, yeah, before launching into exactly why they happen, um, because there's certainly a lot of, there's a lot of reasons why they can happen. Uh, I, I think it's important to sort of outline the kind of schisms that we're talking about. Uh, probably for most of us, unless you're trying to impress a reader um, for your GRE essay, or Mm -hmm. um, I can't think of really any other reason, the only time that I use the word schism is when I'm referring to the Great Schism. Uh, The Great Schism you may have learned about in your history class in high school, or if you took a church history class later on, uh, you've probably heard of the Great Schism. Great Schism happened in 1054, and it is the separation of the uh, Western uh, or the Western Church, or what's called today the Catholic Church, and the uh, Eastern Church, or the Eastern Orthodox Church. And the Great Schism is uh, mainly a a political feud about, uh, it's the Church saying, uh, or the Eastern Church saying, you can't say that one man is ahead of the entire church, that one bishop is um, in charge of everything, namely the Pope, which the Western church was obviously claiming the Pope is um, in charge. The Pope um, has this sort of uh, divine authority almost. Uh, And I I hate to use that phrase. That's probably misleading. But um, the Eastern Orthodox Church said, no, uh, your bishops are all equal. Um, You simply, you can simply state that one bishop is the first among equals or is the, the, the mouthpiece of the church, um, which they would be cool with saying that the Pope is that. So anyways, that's the, the great schism, um, this huge divide, the first major divide um, in church history. But uh, schism is uh, actually more of a, a technical term when you're discussing church history. And is usually referred, used to refer to all of the smaller divisions regarding uh, heresies and uh, different doctrine controversies throughout the first 1500 years of the church. Um, it just so happened that the Great Schism is the biggest one and the most important one uh, for effects afterward. And then uh, a third point to make is that the uh, that schisms normally when I'm thinking about them has to do with uh, post-Reformation, uh, how the Um, different Protestant denominations have split off and splintered from uh, Martin Luther's original vision in 1517 um, that you've gained all these uh, disparate and um, significant other denominations that have come out of that. Uh, Lutherans, Reformed Church, 
uh, Presbyterians, Anglicans, um, Methodists, and so on. Now, all of that to say, uh, why those things are happening, there's a lot of different reasons. Um, and I'll, I'll probably let y'all answer that more. What, what kind of schisms are y'all thinking of when we're having this conversation? And what are the reasons that, we're, that those sorts of schisms are happening? Is it more of a heresies and doctrinal issues, or is it political things like with the, uh, the Great Schism? Or what else? Stephen, um, what kind of schisms are you envisioning, and what leads to those? Well, the ones that are the ones that stand out in history are the ones that cause new denominations to form, and those denominations have to last and stand the test of time. If somebody splits off and then gets um, there's a genocide against those people, and the, the the religious group just folds or whatever might happen to them, you're not going to hear much about it. Um, so ones that have lasted until or till our modern day religious groups would be uh, Calvinists, where they have split off due to their beliefs regarding free will, predestination, the elect, things of that nature, salvation issues of who's saved. Um, you can also see the remnants of uh, the, the Anabaptist movement where they basically claimed that the Pope had invented infant baptism and put that into the church where they saw that there was no scriptural foundation for that practice to uh, be a part of the church. Uh, and from the Anabaptists, you have the modern day Baptists and, and all the branches off of that Southern Baptist, what other first Baptist churches, uh, but all of them, stem from the Anabaptist separation from the Catholic Church. Uh, there's other Protestant movements, uh, and I should also specify that Anabaptists uh, were partly direct uh, or a spinoff of what Luther did when he uh, separated himself from the Catholic Church with his actions. And I mean, Luther's group, the Lutherans, that was just people that later down the road, they were identified by that name. It wasn't that he went and started his own church to do that. It's just that there is a group of followers that were identified by, you know, it was probably a negative connotation that went along with those that were following Luther's teachings, that they were then captured with that uh, terminology, if you will. Uh, but those are two of the Calvinists and the Anabaptist uh, schisms that, stand out that I think had a, a large impact, probably not as much as the, uh, the Eastern Orthodox and Catholic Church split where theirs was just mainly focused on the sovereignty of the Pope because both of them still claim that they have a direct lineage or apostolic succession of the teachings of the apostles. They both say the way we do things is... Uh, how the apostles had been taught from Jesus himself. And if, well, obviously they both can't be right. So they say, well, no, theirs is a false teaching. Ours is the true one. And so who do you believe? It's a kind of a loophole within their, their argument there. Michael, thoughts? Yeah, so I, I find both of uh, what both of you are saying quite 
fascinating, you know, just to kind of hear the, um, the inner workings of how these two groups were thinking. And um, I think that the religious disagreements that both of y'all have outlined are immensely important. I think um, I'll admit what I'm about to say is not as important, but I think we do have to emphasize the political ramifications of what is happening in all of these places. Um, Daniel, as you mentioned, with the Great Schism uh, and many of the smaller schisms that happened before that, there's usually seats of power, uh, that there are political ties to religious power that are polarizing two groups. So that when a large doctrinal difference comes up, the political powers will seize on that and they'll use it to split the church. Um, they will take sides and they'll, they'll use the fervor that people have for the religious issues. And for the record, I would say they rightly hold religious fervor because they, they genuinely disagree on a religious issue. But the, the politicians, the monarchs, kings, whatever, you know, whatever the political power is at the time, will use those to divide kingdoms and to, to bring up their own power within that time. Uh, so, so, you know, uh, the Great Schism, of course, divided Europe from Asia in many ways. Then moving forward to the, uh, the Reformation, um, it, it was a question of who can hold power in all of these different places. So um, I guess it was, what, Switzerland and Germany and England ended up being more Protestant. Uh, France and Italy, more Catholic, of course, I'm speaking in generalities here, but um, each of those, while led by the religious fervor and had religious leaders like uh, Luther in Germany, um, Calvin in Switzerland, John Knox in uh, the British Isles, um, there, there is still political leaders who are working at that time. And the reason I bring all of this up is I think it's also directly relatable to today, uh, that as we think about divisions in the church today, I, I think we even covered this in season one or two, where we talked about uh, political differences by different Christian groups, how some Christian groups tend to be much more one direction or the other as far as political persuasion goes. And even within Christian groups like our own, um, there are differences that are often, uh, different religious preferences are often also associated with differences in political ideology as well. Um, groups that tend to be more conservative religiously might also be more conservative uh, politically as well. Now, of course, that's within the small spectrum of our Christian movement. Um, but I, I find it interesting that throughout history, politics uh, catches on to the coattails of religious movements. Uh, I want to respond to a few things there. Uh, actually, the first thing I want to say is I think that's an, an excellent point. And I would even take it a different direction. Stephen, okay. before the, the podcast began, you had mentioned micro schisms um, and referring more to uh, um, church, split. yeah, church splits. So one congregation dividing up to go form another congregation. Uh, fairly com uh, common lots of uh, protestant churches especially the churches of christ uh, without uh, a, a ruling body over us um and i think michael what i thought you were going to say uh, which made a lot, a lot of sense to me was that a lot of those micro schisms are happening for 
quote unquote political reasons, uh, meaning that there are uh, men or leaders in the church and uh, a congregation who want to see that congregation go a different direction um, or they don't like the direction that congregation is going. And so for that, those internal leadership uh, uh controversies and strife that's why and they may like you said seize on to some doctrinal issue and go form a church because of that but it may it sometimes has to do with just the i hate to say ego perhaps of these different leaders in these congregations the other thing going back to stephen's point and a little bit of what you were saying at the beginning there michael um talking about what uh what leads to these schisms um stephen made me think of two two very different uh reasons happening just in the, the beginning of the reformation so you first have uh the reformation proper with luther and calvin um and a lot of their work is coming out of perceived uh injustices and excesses in the catholic church they say okay the church is corrupt and so we need to reform it and make it better and they and uh, inadvertently have this uh the schism and an offshoot from that well at the same time you have the anabaptists um who theirs seems to be a little bit more pure in um not that the other reason is bad the other reason is great uh, yeah. but it's uh pure in that it's straight doctrine focused uh they have these doctrinal differences with how they think the church is functioning and they go off and make um their own movement. So I just thought that was a really great explanation of seeing these different reasons for why schisms happen. Uh, Stephen, did you have more thoughts on the, these micro schisms or these sort of these reasons behind separation? So one thing I want to also mention is, do you guys think it's fair to say that the Church of Christ, or sorry, Churches of Christ? if you want to recognize them as a denomination, just how they came about. Is it fair to say that they did not come about from a schism, but just a different change uh, or perspective of religious uh, practice that came about and became popular? Um, or where is the schism found? Because I think that that is something that churches of Christ could hang their hat on, is that they weren't necessarily formed from a uh, uh, a division from anything, but more of a an effort to unify on something, uh, a, a, a type of practice um, that was able to take us back to our source of yeah. inspiration. Now, of course, we are biased because that, that is the tradition, the, the religious group that we are a part of, but that said, uh, I, I do think that the the early history, like you know, going back to Campbell Stone and uh, Smith and and all of them, um, I, I do think that there was a it was a unity movement. You know, th these men and and women that were part of it were coming from different religious groups. They had different religious backgrounds, whether it was Presbyterian or Methodist or Baptist, and they were coming together. And so, definitely, there was. Uh, a movement towards unity and, and placing unity and purity right next to each other. However, I, I don't want to whitewash our history uh, because you don't get too far into it, especially over the past hundred years. 
where the purity kind of moves forward as more important than unity. Um, and so without taking sides on anything, I think that uh, there has become less and less room for disagreement, which is the forerunner of division. And of course, we have seen division uh, within our churches. So as far as the micro schisms go, the, let's just start with churches of Christ. Ones that you will see are uh, gender roles in the church, uh, instrumental music. Um, uh, those are the two big ones that uh, would, for most people, would gauge one church as progressive versus one that's conservative. Uh, and a lot of things that kind of deviate from there. Um, I, I can't think of too many more that are big divisive issues other than what Daniel pointed out as political issues that uh, then latch on to a, 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 scriptural, uh, a scriptural difference between two parties that they use that as to take the group that sides with them off one direction and leaves another um, hanging on to their side of the argument. Sure. Uh, but do y'all have any other schisms that do you think we could identify as major for churches of Christ at least? I guess I would say that you have a bias towards pointing out the leftward schisms. I think that there are uh, rightward schisms where, or may, maybe the the people that are um, on the right, like, you know, uh, non-institutional churches. Um, and I, I, I can't even, I, I don't even know the proper terminology for a lot, a lot of the groups that have all stem from instrumental music, corporate worship issues or gender roles. How, yeah, it's either gender roles or instrumental music in a corporate setting. Like what are, the other ones that's what i'm asking so uh supporting uh supporting orphanages and and uh, ha having your money go towards groups that are a uh, parachurch organizations so you're you're talking about churches of christ institutional that did not break off from uh churches of christ oh but they would say that they would say that those of us who do support those organizations have broken off and, I, you know, to any of our listeners who know better on that than me, with that group, they just have a similar name. Go, you should go look up the the history of that church. They broke. They're they're like a stem from like Methodist or something. I will say that is untrue, but I'll let our listeners go do their own research to see who is right in this argument. But I, I would agree with Michael. That's part of this. Thing. Movie. This will give the listeners a reason to listen to the next podcast. So <laughs> two people berate the other. Um, <laughs> yeah. Or one berate too, because y'all both y'all disagree. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, to answer Stephen's question before moving into our, our um, Steve, Michael's other question, he introduced at the top of the podcast. Uh, I think. Um, <coughs> Most of it is about is more generalized and it's a a group that wants to do something else, typically a group that wants to be more liberal, though sometimes the church is naturally moving in a liberal direction and a conservative group wants to branch off. 
And so they'll they pick a topic, whatever's most relevant for that congregation, which may be gender roles or instruments or whatever else. No, um, I, I was I was going to tack on before Michael did um, that there are uh, groups um, that there's the um, uh, the non institutional Church of Christ, which yeah they have their uh, differences, namely parachurch parachurch organizations. There's one cut Churches of Christ um, mm-hmm. separated themselves based on um, how we take communion, being more like Jesus and the disciples um, and how we do that. And a lot of smaller things, but I think Stephen, you hit on the main issue, which is uh, churches with very different yeah. visions separating for whatever issue they grab. Um, so Michael, uh, what is, what was the, the last question that we wanted to discuss? Yes. Yeah, so, so we've, we've described uh, a little bit of history, a little bit of modern thought on what we see going on. So, you know, I, I think that division in the church is a bad thing. Uh, however, I think if we, uh, maybe there's some silver linings, maybe there's some other ways for us to think about these schisms, whether they're great schisms or micro schisms or, or different divisions that we see. What are the pros? What are the cons? Um, how should we think about these issues? Um, I think that uh, we can all agree that division is bad. In fact, we've already mentioned that our movement is um, 50% of its sort of uh, inaugural beliefs were this idea that we are striving for unity in the church. Our our movement is a unity movement to bring um, different uh, denominations together under one one movement, trying to be more like the New Testament church. Um, That said, as a fan of the free market, (laughs) I, um, I, I'm sympathetic to divisions and as much as they are trying to do something better or um, and as much as they are cosmetic, there are things that maybe don't matter a whole lot. And so it's congregations that want to um, operate differently um, for purely cosmetic reasons. Do y'all have thoughts on that? Do y'all think that's silly of me, naive of me or what? Well, it depends on the, reason for division. If it's uh, something that's personal preference, I'll throw out an example where I've always thought it is wise for congregations to have their worship service before Bible classes because if any church out there that I've ever seen has had a, uh, a huge drop off from, uh, from worship to Bible classes if you have Bible classes before because People will take the opportunity to sleep in and then only show up for what they uh, deem as essential for checking the box for their church attendance, which is taking the Eucharist and listening to a sermon, apparently. Uh, But if you have Bible classes after, then why not? Restaurants aren't open yet, so you can't go out to eat. Right, exactly. So that, that was me taking... 30 seconds of our podcast to uh, plug an idea. So hopefully our listeners can go and ask their elders, why aren't we having Bible classes after worship? 
All right, let it be known that it started here on this podcast. There you go. So if you're dividing and leaving a church for that reason, that is silly. Don't do that. Um, that, that is not a reason to break fellowship with someone just because they're not uh, doing a practice in the most optimal way to do it. Uh, another weird example would be if you're funding one missionary over another because you can get more bang for your buck, baptisms per dollar um, with in one country rather than another. Um, the fact is you're, you got you're getting baptisms with this other guy too. So um, not something to divide over. And so when you're looking at the schisms that are worth defending, it would have to be where scripture is being practiced in error and misleading people. And if somebody has taken on the wolf in sheep's clothing, then that is definitely a red flag where you would want to address the issue, uh, do it in the scriptural example that we are given where you talk to the person if they won't listen to people, a group, whatever. Um, and excommunication, you never really hear of it, but um, disfellowshipping another word for that that is an option that people should explore if the um if the practice is threatening to the church what are your guys thoughts yeah so i guess i see i see both of y'all making good points so so steven you're saying that we should emphatically uh, avoid cosmetic schisms that um, that, you know, what you called silly reasons. Uh, if, if you can find scriptural reasons to do so, you should avoid those. Now, I think that Daniel's actually making, he's, he's disagreeing with you, but he's doing it in a way where, uh, we can actually come together. Uh, Daniel, you, you were making the point that, that there's a, it's good to have a marketplace of churches to where people, um, are able to find a congregation that meets their needs uh, and also meets their doctrinal judgments so that they can worship in peace, worship uh, feeling good about the decisions they make, the way that their children are being raised. Um, and yeah, I, I think that that's, you know, part of freedom of religion, freedom of conscience is your ability to, to unite with those who agree with you. So what happens when, you come up to a new issue that you disagree at whatever church that you decided was the place you needed to be. You're, you're, you have that mentality of the grass is always greener on the other side. That's just going to create a cycle of you going to a different church and trying to keep finding something. When are you going to uh, submit yourself to an eldership? Oh, I, I would say that you need to do that constantly um and constantly be moving churches <laughs> no i think that uh we need to continually be under elderships that that we need to uh, always assert ourselves uh as as allowing elders to lead so what that means though uh and this is going back to our first podcast that we had this season that you need to think about where are the what are the issues 
where I have to agree with my eldership now. And so, like you said, Stephen, when new issues come up, um, first of all, you need to have a level of trust. Uh, but we trust first in scriptures. We trust first in the scripture. And second, if it's unclear or if it's a judgment call, we have to honor, honor the eldership there, honor the leadership uh, that is there. Um, and I, I recognize that this is difficult. Is there a take-home message that you want our listeners to hear to, to wrap up the episode? Well, Churches of Christ, uh, non-institutional, is a branch off of Churches of Christ, I found out. We can start with that. As far as schisms go, uh, it is useful to know the roots of the church group that you're a part of, and hopefully that you can uh, take comfort in following the New Testament church, following God's commandments, and doing your your due diligence to know why you do what you do and uh, to be open to people's criticisms of your practices and then go and search the scriptures for what you uh, w- what the Bible says about those things um, I, I generally agree with what y'all's last few comments uh, I guess I would say schisms generally are a bad thing, something that we should try and avoid in the church. Uh, The Lord has one church, um, just as he has uh, one one day of the week and one supper. That's a a Keith Stangland lesson that I learned at one point. (laughs) Um, But uh, the Lord has one church, and so we should desire that it be unified. That said, um, it's really beyond us uh, to make decisions for the whole church on what is that particular um, that particular vision of the faith, uh, if there is one. Uh, we, we obviously, we should be trying to seek that out and bring others into that fold. Um, but uh, we have to be ready and open for the fact that schisms and divisions are going to happen, and hopefully they're happening for... Uh, at least better reasons, not reasons of ego or of malice, but reasons of reform and trying to make the church better. Daniel, I'll, I'll be honest. I'm going to take a bit of a negative approach uh, in, in the closing thought. I, I would say that we need to be cautious. Uh, we need to, uh, as the scripture says, we need to be looking for wolves in sheep's clothing what we learn from history is that too often egos uh, play a role in schisms. Egos play a role in division. And so whenever you have powerful personalities in churches, uh, when you have those who always know that they're right, and and I'll be the first to say, I, I, I have a tendency to be a strong personality that likes to assert myself. Uh, but we should be wary of ego-driven Christianity uh, or any type of Christianity that ties itself to power. Um, the message of Jesus has always been one of servanthood and uh, and trying to upend the power structure as it is. Um, and schis- schisms too often are tied to people forgetting that message. So. 
three takeaway messages and uh, we'll continue the podcast next week with a brand new topic. If you like what you've heard on the podcast, please subscribe, uh, leave a comment, and we look forward to talking with you next week.